Evil to the right hand, puts her down. He's going to dump him hard to the ice. Brady Leopold just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Lazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Liebold, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. Warrior. All right, guys, what's going on? Welcome. Hockey to hell and back. Episode number 33. We're closing in on episode 100. If you've been following along, this is episode 97, I believe, dating back to Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery. Thank you so much for joining me. If you're joining us live, if you're listening after the fact, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that good stuff, I greatly, greatly appreciate it. It's uh, It's been a lot of fun this last year. It's uh, It's been challenging at times. But this is what really keeps me going. The podcast, Puck Support. Thank you to everybody that has supported Puck Support in any any way. Big, small, whether it's sharing a post, buying some of the clothing, whatever it looks like. Thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. And I know there's a lot of other people do it that do as well. It's uh, 
it's uh it's not easy uh anywhere in life and hockey is no exception and you know the, the podcast hockey to hell and back i think everybody in the hockey community goes to hell and back at some point you know and uh today's a very uh exciting episode for myself uh have somebody on that you know we lived very similar lives uh with the exception of jail he didn't go to jail that i know of uh but you remove that and uh the life of addiction and mental illness and i'm very grateful that he's still here to share his story not only with me but with all of you because it takes balls it takes balls i get on here and uh I speak from my heart. I took a chance about a year ago, two weeks, I think it'll be a year that I started the podcast. So uh, thank you to everybody that uh, has been along for the ride. And I don't know where I'd be without this podcast and without all of your support. So seriously, thank you. I know I say it all the time, but you know, I shouldn't be here and uh, my guest shouldn't either. Before we get into the episode, we're gonna get into a, a couple sponsors. Take it away, my favorite, Regan Bartell. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leobold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. TeamIssued.ca. Promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. Thank you, Regan. It looks like the BC Division and the WHL is back in business. And... Before we move on to the next sponsor, actually, I did an interview with Global Okanagan yesterday uh, or the day before. I, you know, too many concussions. My memory's gone. I can't remember what I had for breakfast. That's not entirely true because I eat the same thing every single morning, as most people know. But they did an interview and it was supposed to air uh, last night. But because the WHL fired back up, it was going to air today. It's supposed to be like a three minute segment. I got an email just about two hours ago and they they're breaking it into two segments it airs tomorrow and then again on friday the second part so thank you to everybody at global okanagan global bc for picking up the story about the podcast puck support it's you know it's great and uh it's a very humbling experience uh, to be involved with puck support at all i'm just a very small part of it whether it was my idea or not i know that it's going to take a lot more than just me and the people that are currently involved to take this to where we don't only want it to go, but where we need it to go because people are struggling and it's, uh, I'm sick. I'm honestly, I'm sick of it and something's got to give. So before we get in the episode, one more sponsorship. Thank you to Steve Buckley for this one. Hockey to Hell and Back is brought to you by Performance Wellness. The collaboration between First Star Therapy and MindFrame brings a flexible, holistic program to athletes. The goal is to empower and enhance every athlete's well-being on and off the field of play through focus on intentful movement and mindful practices. You can contact them at consult at firststartherapy.com and team at mindframe.info. Plus, you can check them out on the web at firststartherapy.com and follow First Star on Instagram at firststar.therapy and at MindFrame on Twitter plus MindFrame Fit on Instagram. 
Awesome. Thank you, Steve Buckley down there in Beaverton, Oregon. He's been a supporter of mine and Puck Support since the very beginning. He's done a lot of cool stuff, videos, voiceovers. Thank you, Steve. You're the man. We have one more sponsorship we'll get to a little bit later uh, in the show. And I'm getting a text message from somebody that my guest wants to hear from. So uh, we're going to get into the episode. We're going to talk about all things hockey, all things addiction and mental illness, mental health issues, and maybe what we can do collectively to change the world. Not just the hockey world. We're talking the world. We got to do more. Everybody has a part to play, big or small. So without further ado, guys, let's get right into the episode. We'll see you guys in a few minutes. Well, in a couple weeks, it'll be one year since I recorded the very first episode of what was once called Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery. I can tell you that when I first pressed record on that first episode, I would have never imagined all the darkness outside of my story that I was about to uncover throughout the hockey community. I knew at the time that Hockey to Heroin would be hard hitting and I wondered how many people in the hockey world would be able to resonate. The word heroin is such a terrifying word, and it should be. The power of opiates such as Oxycontin, heroin, and fentanyl have a power that is second to none, at least for me. The fact of the matter is, fentanyl was my drug of choice, and it stopped me dead over 10 times. I should not be here. It's just that simple. And either should my guest tonight. While I was losing anything and everything I ever loved in BC, living in my hell, the same was happening to him out here in Ontario. It's as if we were living parallel lives, or at least very close to it. Aaron Snow was born on May 20th, 1988 in Windsor, Ontario, and grew up with one dream, to play in the NHL. Snow was drafted in the early second round of the OHL Priority Selection Draft in 2004. He was taken 23rd overall by the Brampton Battalion and made the team as a 16-year-old. And in his sophomore season at just 17 years old, he recorded a very impressive 30 goals and 38 assists for 68 points in 68 games. Well, rightfully so, it garnered the attention of the NHL scouts and following that season, the Dallas Stars selected Aaron Snow in the third round, 90th overall in the 2006 NHL entry draft. After that great season, things started to decline for Snow, bouncing around the OHL. And by the time 2008-2009 rolled around, Aaron Snow was playing in the CIS for Western University. CIS is excellent hockey, but it's pretty safe to say that not too many guys graduated out of Canadian college and eventually find their way to the NHL. The stories are very few and far between. This cold, harsh reality started to have a serious effect on Snow's life. Just like so many of us, when our hockey dreams are over, the mental illness can kick in. Aaron Snow did find quite a bit of success playing at Western, and he was even selected to represent Team Canada in the World University Games in Turkey. But just a month before he was scheduled to leave, he blew out his knee. And so, enter opiate painkillers. Most people really don't understand the pressure that comes with being an elite hockey player and what kind of effect it can have on our mental health. And another cold, harsh fact is that most people don't understand that opiate painkillers don't just mask physical pain. 
In fact, they crush emotional pain probably even better than they work on physical pain. Though Aaron Snow had recovered from the knee injury and didn't need the painkillers, by this time, just like so many of us, he had become severely addicted. Though he was able to get his degree through Western University and move on into the business world and find quite a bit of success, he was hiding a dark secret. Slowly but surely, the painkillers started to take over his life. Rent was late, bills weren't paid, he had maxed his credit cards and every cent he was making was going to support his addiction. And the accountability that he once had was slowly dwindling away. Living with the pain of the what if hockey career, much like myself, he was driven now only by his addiction. Endless suicidal thoughts and being severely depressed finally led Aaron Snow to break down and tell his family everything. And so he was off to treatment for the first time. And much like myself, he left that treatment center feeling great, high on life. But he found out just like I did, relapse can be right around the corner. For the next five or six years, Aaron Snow was in and out of treatment centers and detox facilities. And on one night, his dad found him overdosed in the bedroom. And if he didn't, Aaron Snow wouldn't be here. The drugs had a grip on him like a chokehold and he knew enough was enough. Today, Aaron is on the right path. And just two weeks ago, I got a message from a guy that I played with for a short time at Tampa Bay Lightning Camp, Kyle DeCoste. He mentioned that he had seen my story and that a guy he had played with lived pretty much the identical life minus the jail. And so he sent me a link to a blog called A Journey Through My Veins. With zero hesitation, I pressed the link and read the story and I couldn't believe what I was reading. It was as if I wrote this piece and it was from 2018. The similarities between Aaron Snow's story and my story between addiction, psych wards, mental illness, and the journey through our veins is so parallel and so paramount in my mind that I just can't even fathom. Immediately after reading that blog post, I had to find Aaron Snow. And luckily enough, I found him on Facebook, the beauty of social media. For the past couple weeks, we have been talking back and forth, sharing stories and ideas of how we can change the world together. I've told him all about puck support, and I've told him several times how lucky he is that he's still here. Not that he needs me to tell him this, but I'm very grateful that I'm alive and that Aaron Snow is alive. And I'm grateful that he's brave enough to share his story in the hope that it can help others. And I know it will. I've sent him the never forget picture with all those we have lost to things like suicide and overdose. And there's no two ways about it. It should feature both myself and Aaron Snow, but it doesn't. And for that, I'm so grateful and I know he is too. Here's another guy that lived through hell and wants to share his story to help others. I know firsthand it's not easy to be vulnerable, to share our mistakes, our weaknesses, and I commend Aaron Snow for writing that blog post, and I'm so grateful that Kyle DeCoste sent it to me. I feel very lucky that we've been able to connect. And when I finished reading that blog post, it was the final line that he signed off with that blew my mind. It's okay not to be okay, which is the proper English of it's okay to be not okay, and that's the one we use here at Puck Support for trademark reasons. But connecting with that blog 
reading his words and seeing that statement there hit home. And there is no question in my mind that me and Aaron Snow were supposed to meet and we're supposed to be doing this podcast. Together with all those other like-minded people, there's no doubt that we will change the world. There's so many layers to this story, so let's just get right into it. I'm so excited. This is what Hockey to Hell and Back is all about. It's my pleasure to introduce to you guys from Windsor, Ontario, my new friend, Aaron Snow. Come to decide that the things that I tried were in my life is too good. What's going on, buddy? How you doing, brother? You know what this song is called? No idea. It's called Snow. Come on. It is by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. This is Snow by the Chilies. I love this song, but hey, man, listen, thanks for doing this, man. I'm uh, I'm thrilled you're here, man, and, and I know it's uh, it's been a rough road, but uh, you're on the up and up now. Yeah, I'm happy to be here, you know, once you shot me a message the other week, and I read your story. Like you said, it was like reading my own story. <laughs> that intro there almost made me cry a little bit, you know. Hey, you know what? It was emotional, you know. Yeah, it is, and and you know what? I was fighting back tears too, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm people that watch and listen to my podcast. They know I'm a crier. I, I cry all the time, and uh, I'm not ashamed of that because at least now I'm able to you know feel my feelings, and maybe you can say the same thing, right? Exactly. You know those painkillers and drugs mask it, like you said in the intro there. It's it's probably better for the mental pain than it is for the physical pain. Yeah. And it's, that's, that's a, I know for myself, like when I, the very first time I ever did an Oxycontin, it was, it was just like, I remember throwing up uh, because obviously my body didn't like it. It wasn't like I started with a little bit. I, I, I'd be honest, I snorted an Oxy 80 milligram pill the first time I ever did it. And I'll never forget it. And I remember throwing up because I mean, my body just wasn't used to it. And it was probably like, you know, it was toxic, right? But I remember throwing up and thinking to myself, like, wow, this is awesome. This feels so great because now I don't have to deal with everything else that's going on up here. And I knew I was in trouble. Was that was that sort of the same thing for you the first time that you ever took one of those pills? Yeah, it's it's a sickness at first. It isn't really it enjoyable per se. It's addicting, like it, it you know it's gonna hold on to you, but is you do get sick, you know what I mean? You wake up in the middle of the night feeling sick, but for some reason you want more and the sickness eventually kind of goes away and and you just take them to, to mask the pain in the head and in the heart and mm-hmm. just enough feel anything, right? Yeah, and I mean, we'll get, I want to dive into all that and before we go, I have a terrible memory. So before we go any further, uh, I messaged our, our mutual friend who I didn't know was a mutual friend until about five minutes ago. Uh, Richard Greenop, uh, he says, uh, he says, uh, I've been trying to contact him, uh, tell him I'm proud of him uh, and that I say hi. So um, yeah, tell him I say what's up. Tell him should yeah. be a message for sure. I haven't talked to him in a while and I, I didn't know he was going through some things as well. Yeah, and uh, he's going to come on the show in, in the future. And, and he played in the American Hockey League and was a good hockey player as well. And yeah, um, he's a, just and, a great, great, great human being. Yeah, and, and we've connected too. And he, he's like messages me every day, um, you know, updating me with his work and, and different things. And, and seems like he's doing well. And it's just another story where, you know, it could have gone the other way. And so, you know, you grew up in Windsor, uh, which is a, is a border town. It's a hockey town. Uh, you grew up with the dream of, of wanting to play in the NHL. And was that, was that your only 
thought growing up was NHL or bust? Yeah, it's what I loved, you know, and now that the, the smoke is cleared and dust is settled a bit, you start to think about it. Yeah, it was my life. It was the only thing that made sense. It was the only thing that mattered. Um, you know, I lived every day for it. And someone asked, what do you want to do? I want financial. What do you want to do? I want financial. Even as a young kid, it's like, okay, you want financial. But, but I got older, yeah, I want financial. And it's all I really work towards. And I, I've said it before. It's like, you know, you work towards something your whole life, like a doctor would work towards a PhD. It's a different analogy, but it's kind of the same, right? You know, you work towards this and you work towards it and you put everything you have into it. And then it comes to a point and it just doesn't happen. And it's like, fuck, what the hell happened, right? Yeah. And you know what? It's the, the thing is, is like, I know I felt like that and, and I, I'm sort of over, like I'm, I would say I'm like 99.5% over and this just happened. Yeah, I, I've come to terms with it as well. Right. And, but it was a, it was a long road to get there and I couldn't even watch hockey for up until a, a few months ago, really maybe a year. I couldn't even turn on the, on the TV and watch hockey. Couldn't even entertain the thought of watching hockey. Do you watch hockey nowadays? I do now, but, like you, it was tough. You know what I mean? Playing with a lot of the guys at Sunny NHL and playing against them and, you know, not saying that I was better than any of them, but yeah, I was the same as them. And, you know, to watch it, it was hard for a while, you know, and like, it, right after the fact, when things kind of ended pretty quickly in my career, was the hardest part to kind of handle that. And I kind of transferred my thoughts were going to school and getting back and just enjoying life again because you know I struggled for a while there having that life and wanting that life and, and it going away in the snap of a finger and yeah I, I had the same dream for a long time and I, and I just I hated life for a long time and I was I wasn't depressed because I was at school and I was still playing and I was like you know it's past as a past but it still ate at me it's still you know, it doesn't eat at me today. I've come to terms with it. And, you know, it, it happened a long time ago, but I still think about it, you know, and, and, and being clear-minded, you think about it more and, and you go, you know, what happened? You know, where did it go wrong? And, and uh, you know, where, where did you kind of get off the track and, and, and start going the wrong way? And yeah. And have some regrets. And I think, I, yeah, I mean, we all do. And so that, you know, you get drafted, you're a super high draft pick in, into the oh, early for second round. Um, I actually made a mistake. I thought it was, I, you were drafted like 21st overall or 22nd. And I just assumed that that was the late first round, but it's actually the early second round, which is unbelievable. And, you know, you played for, for Team Ontario. Uh, you're in the OHL at 16. Uh, 17, you just have a phenomenal year and you're drafted by Dallas and, you know, things are, I mean, man, I didn't get drafted. So, and you got drafted third round 90th overall. So at that point in time, uh, you know, things are, things are going very well. At, at what point in time was there an incident that maybe happened that sort of, you know, hindered your ability to get back there or uh, going to Dallas? Was there partying involved? What was what do you think was the key factor in, in the sort of the decline? I know what mine were. I had several, but I'd, I'd be interested to hear what, what your thoughts are on, on all of it now. Um, you know, I, I think when I got to the OHL growing up, playing Windsor, having a lot of opportunity and, and enjoying the coaches that I was coached by and, and, 
in AAA and then when I was junior B when I was 15. And when I got to the OHL, I didn't have that same enjoyment. I mm-hmm. didn't, um, my coach was a prick. My trainer was a prick. Um, so I just, from the, from the get go, it was just kind of a bad situation. Me and my coach didn't see eye to eye and he was just a hard ass. He was a hard ass all the time. There was no middle ground where he was, you know, if you did something good, you get a pat on the ass and, you know, yeah. you did something right. Good job. I'm all for when you do something wrong, when the team's playing like shit. Yeah. You yell and scream, but there's gotta be some give and take in that. And there wasn't. And, um, yeah, I just, I just didn't feel, I just didn't feel like myself and, you know, I wasn't playing a lot and it was still kind of the old school way where now if you're a first or second rounder and you're good enough, you're going to play, you're going to play first line. You're going to play second line. You're going to play power play. You're going to play Penico. And it was still kind of old school back then. So, you know, when you're younger, you just didn't play and, and not that. So I didn't play all my first year, but it still went okay. Um, but I, I just, at the same time, I, I didn't see eye to eye with the coach and, and I asked for a trade in my first year also. And I ended up staying. Um, so when my second year started, you know, uh, things went okay. You know what I mean? It's, it, it was a good year. My first half was, was okay. I was rated, I think 150, 160 in the, in the rankings and, and had a, a decent first half. Um, my second half, I kind of exploded, um, went over point a game and final rankings. I think I was 77th and ended up getting to 90th overall by Dallas. And it was a good experience, you know. It, it was what everything I dreamed for. It, it's everything I worked for my whole life. It's everything I wanted, and, and it was it was going as planned. Um, yeah, sure, I didn't see I with my coach, but you know, whatever. I was getting, I got drafted. Things were on track, and uh, I went into my third year in Brampton. And this is where it, it kind of went the wrong way. Um, you know, I I, I always kind of wanted out of Brampton. And eventually I, I, I left Brampton, but I probably shouldn't have, you know, I was comfortable there. I worked my ass off to get where I was. I was first in my fitness test every year. I worked harder than everybody. Um, you know, so they knew that they knew me, they knew who I was. They knew how hard I worked. The town knew me, the teammates knew me. So I was comfortable there. So I left in the middle of the game in Saginaw, which I shouldn't have, you know, I should have just. I, I pulled off and told my coach to have off and he said, say sorry. And I jumped over and left. And, you know, it's, it is what it is. It's over with. I probably do the same thing. You know, I, I regret it, but I'd probably do the same thing. And, um, I went to, I went home from Saginaw and, uh, sat at home for about a month. I got traded to Belleville, which I didn't want to fucking go to. I didn't want to go to Belleville, a small town. I got traded for John Hughes, who was the first overall pick in the OHL draft when I got drafted. So it was a big trade, you know, and I both pretty highly talented players. And, and uh, so if I would have went to Bell and played well, and, you know, it would have been like a bad haircut, you know, the hair goes back, everything's fine. And we look good again and you play good and you sign and you go pro and everything's good. But it didn't go like that. You know, I, I got traded for a good player and he was liked by the fans, liked by the players. And, so there was an, oh, a little bit of, you know, animosity in the room when I first got there mm-hmm. by the players and, and by the fans and even the coaches a little bit. And so it just, it, it didn't go 
you know, 100% smoothly. You know, I, I wasn't playing best. I wasn't playing terrible, but I just I wasn't myself. And I really started to struggle. So that led to a little bit of depression. It led a little bit to anxiety. It led to a little bit of bipolar. And I started to kind of lash out. I started to not want to play anymore. I started to get depressed. I started to be the last one on the ice, the first one off the ice. And, you know, I went from being drafted ninth or on the NHL, one of the best hockey you know, arguably in the world, to being not wanting to play hockey within a year. So, like, no one noticed that I was struggling, that I was hurting, that I was, you know, so I wasn't seen as Aaron the person that's hurting and struggling and might be really hurting inside and something's wrong. I was only seen as Aaron the hockey player who's just not good at hockey anymore, and that's it. So... I'm hoping that's changing. I, I think it is changing a little bit, the stigma with mental illness. And if someone's struggling, it, it should be looked at. Like, why didn't my agent come in and pull me out and say, hey, what's wrong? Are you okay? Let's get this fixed. No, they ghosted me. You know, uh, they didn't talk to me. They didn't call me. They didn't ask me how I was doing. <laughs> you know, so the, the guys that are supposed to be looking out for me the most, the guys that are supposed to be having my back the most, going in my corner the most didn't give a fuck about me. They didn't care about me. They acted like I was nobody, like I was never one of their clients. So if the people that are supposed to be caring for you the most and looking after you the most in your hockey career aren't looking out for you, you know, yeah, I made mistakes. I own them. You know, I don't blame anyone for what happened, but I was a you know, I, I was a teenager. I, I was I was hurting, and no one came in and said, "Hey, what's wrong?" You know, hey, let's just get you out. Let's find out what's going on, and let's deal with it. And then hockey comes secondary. No, it was Aaron, the hockey player, is just not a good hockey player anymore. But how do you go from being one of the best hockey players in the world to not wanting to play hockey within a year, and no one go? Yeah, maybe there's something wrong here. Maybe, you know, he, he's hurting and it's not just about hockey. It was always just about hockey. So that that frustrates me now when I think back about it because the people that were supposed to be looking out for me weren't. Well, listen, man, thanks for sharing that. That's, you know, it's hard to hear. And I, I resonate a lot with, with a lot of things you said. I didn't know that you uh, left brampton i walked away from swift current too i packed my truck and drove i didn't even say bye to any of my teammates same deal i got traded to everett and i didn't i didn't report and uh you know i ended up going back to swift but you know there was so many times uh where i felt especially when i came back as a 19 year old i went through a lot of the same things man where the team was so hard on me they they didn't you know obviously because i left they didn't understand why i left or what was going on nobody um i felt the same way nobody really cared about what was really going on and, and the way that you word that is and it's so true and it's so listen i understand hockey's a business too and even at the major junior level uh but of course I agree with you 100%, man. You got to like, what? why are the the people, especially you're talking an agent or an agency, and again, I'm not going to say who or where, we don't have to blame them now or whatever, but, you know, by sharing the story, you know, you can empower not only, you know, the players, but hopefully the parents of kids coming up um, to make sure that they're being represented, not just by somebody who's, you know, cares about their hockey and, and the dollar value that comes with that, uh, but maybe more importantly about the individual. And so, 
you know, when you feel that way, when you go from, you know, being, you know, top 100 in your age group in the world, like you said, one of the best in the world to not even wanting to play anymore, that doesn't just happen for no reason. Like there, there's, there's layers like an onion. You got to peel those back and, and being 17, 18, 19, even 20, you're a kid. We're, we were kids. And I, I know, and I'm curious what you thought, like, did you ever feel comfortable once in your life in junior to be able to go into um, a, to a teammate or a coach and say, Hey, this is what's going on. I'm not feeling like this. Or were you just feel like you were expected to, to suck it up and get on the ice and, and do your job and, and not worry about anything else other than that? Exactly. No, never. Uh, I, you didn't even think about going to a coach's office ever or telling someone that you felt weak or you felt vulnerable because there is, was, I, I hope it's changing the stigma. You know, you don't want to talk about your feelings. You're going to look weak. You don't want to go to the coach's office because you don't, you're scared of them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You said it perfectly. You know what I mean? And you know, uh, I will, you know, you're changing it. And, you know, I'm ho- I hope it's changing. I see things that are changing in the world, you know, not just in hockey and in hockey, but you know, mental illness is a part of reality and so many people deal with it. And like when you reached out to me and I read your story, like you said, it was kind of the same story and you know, we're not alone. There's so many other people struggling out there and, if you can help just one of them, it's, it's worth it. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right about that. And so like, I I can feel your pain when you talk about it and, and rightfully so, but I'm, I want to remind you that, you know, you've, we're, we're get into the, the darker times maybe about the addiction stuff here in a bit, but like you're now in a place where you have this experience and though you know, your hockey career didn't maybe pan out the way that it did. Like you have the ability uh, to be more, more, you know, effective in the hockey community than you would have ever been as a player um, on a mentor side or the education side. And man, like you are exactly where you're supposed to be today. And I will get into talking about your family too. I know you have a young family, which is unbelievable. Uh, but man, all these, these things that you speak of, are things that I think are still happening today uh, in the dressing room. I don't know uh, how many people feel comfortable going to talk to a coach, uh, especially if you're not like a top, if you're, if you're not on like the first line and, and cause let's be honest, coaches treat players differently. They say they don't, but players are, get picked favorites, especially in junior and everything else. And so if you're sort of in the doghouse, it's the last place I ever wanted to go was to ever go tell the coach and say, Hey, I'm having a hard time or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, what was your experience like with, with living with billets? Like, was that hard for you? It was, it, it was tough at first moving away at 16 and living with people that you don't really know and being homesick. That was a really hard transition, but, um, I had a nice family. I live with in Brampton, great people. I, I still, um, you know, I don't really keep in touch with them today, um, but they were great people, and I wouldn't have changed where I stayed. And uh, you know, I, so I, I like that part in Brampton, and I say I played for Brampton because 
you know, I was a suitcase and I got treated a little bit, but that's where kind of I was home at. I felt the best at and where I played the best at. And I felt at home when I was at other teams and billets, it was a, it was a mess. You live in far away and <laughs> shitty houses. And so it, it, there's, you know, there can be some good, but there can be some bad with it. And what about the partying in junior? Did you uh, rely heavily on, on anything like alcohol or drugs? Did that Was that a part of your story while playing? Um, in junior, you know, the boys go for drinks. Um, you know, we smoked a little bit of weed, um, but we all did it. It was commonplace. It wasn't a one-off. It was pretty common for everyone to do it. And it, you know, we had our days off, we had our, our Sundays off, or we had a day off, and we had a couple of beers, and, but it wasn't abused, and for me then, in junior hockey, yeah, I, I wasn't um, into drugs big time, I wasn't into drinking big time, yes, I like to have a good time with boys, like we all do, but it, it wasn't something that was um, affecting me um, on a daily basis, or anything like that, um, so yeah, we, you know, we, we smoked, and uh, we drank a couple of beers, but nothing criminal, you know, nothing, nothing overly. Same, same deal for, I'll, I'll echo those words, same thing. It's It was total commonplace. All the same stuff was going on uh, everywhere I played in, in junior uh, as well. And so I was just curious as to uh, that. I mean, I was, I got into uh, ecstasy and cocaine a bit, but never during the season. That was more like off season by myself, uh, maybe with the odd couple people. But when it came to hockey season, it was just sort of like the two things for me at that time didn't mix. I mean, they never really did, but um when was uh you know obviously the knee injury um you're at you're at university you're at western university you're set to go to turkey to represent canada at the 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 games the the university games and you blow your knee out and what what was prescribed to you percocet but let's rewind a bit so when i played in belleville we had a training room where there was a jar of oxys that we could have whenever we wanted. So, sorry, I shouldn't even say the fucking team, but it wasn't like out there. It was in the fucking training box, whatever. You know, so it wasn't like a jar you go grab out of, but they were there and no one was looking after them. So if we hurt our shoulder, we hurt our knee, we would take a couple and, you know, whatever. And I liked them then. You know what? I I called them happy pills and I took a couple and I felt good. But it wasn't something that I took all the time or was abusing then. It, it was something that I, I, I thought maybe down the road, you know, that, that it might happen. But it was it was like a one-off once in a while. If I got hurt, you know, I would take a couple. But I enjoyed it and I liked the feeling but didn't get hooked on them then. And um, But it was just there. It was when we, teammates got injuries, they were there available when they needed. So I, I took them then. Um, uh, when I got to Western after my junior career, I wasn't using any painkillers or, you know, anything like that. Um, you know, I experimented with cocaine in, in junior and stuff, but it was a, a big part of my life. I got into SSC, um, more in university, uh, got into the raging bed and, and it was one that was, a, was a pretty big, uh, racing town there so yeah I, I got to it in in london there and um you know had some good times but it wasn't something that i took every day and abused but 
when I hurt my knee was kind of when it took off. Um, I was in, I was in, um, at Western, you know, I had a good couple of years and I was ready to go to Turkey and I was excited about it. And what year got, is this? What year is this? So it, it had to be in, in 2011. It was okay. my third year at Western. I started there in 2008. Yeah. So yeah, I, I had a good couple of years. We had a great team. We went to nationals the first year. We lost by a goal in, in the finals and, you know, we ended up going to national three times when, when I was there. And so I ended up hurting my knee and, um, the doctor at Western was like, I had his phone number. I had, I would text him whenever I wanted and I would say, Hey, I need some, send to the shoppers. And I had him on speed dial and it wasn't a problem anytime. So it first started like my knee, but then it was like, I would get a hundred and come back the next week and say, I left him at home mm-hmm. and no problem. Here's another hundred. And then I would come back a couple weeks later and say, they're, they're done. Okay. Here's another hundred. So that went on for a while. And, uh, eventually I went to him flying to him saying, I'm on perks now. I'm on oxys now. I'm taking mm-hmm. four, four or five eighties a day. You're so much alike. Oh my God. Can you just give me three or four and I'll wean off of them? No problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can do that. So he was giving me what I wanted. And I wasn't planning on stopping. I just wanted them. It was all bullshit what I told him. So that went on. Eventually he gave me his phone number and he would be working at a merge or sometime always up and if it was midnight and the 24 hour shoppers was open and I texted him and I said, you know, I need some oxys I'm out. He would fax the script over no problem. So it was really easily accessible for me. Um, and it just snowballed, you know, it just, it just started at perks and then it went to more perks and then it went to 20s and 40s and 80s. And next thing you know, I'm taking four or five a day and you're taking them you know, to mask the pain in the head and in the heart and not have to feel that pain that hurt and not making it or not playing anymore. And, you know, it's just eventually you're dependent. Eventually it's not really to feel great anymore. It's just to live. It's just to not feel sick. Mm-hmm. And I was a functioning addict for a while after my career at Western. I was marketing associate in sales and was great at my job and was functioning, taking oxys every day, and then no one knew the weather. Um, yeah, like you said in the intro, bills started to be late, rent started to be late, credit cards were maxed out, and everything was going to pills. And I said I wanted to change and called mom up. Yeah, take your time, man. It's uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, I'll I'll hop in quickly and just let you know that I had a doctor in Victoria on speed dial, same thing when I was playing in the East Coast Hockey League, right around the same time uh, as that, and um, same deal. I was doing the exact same stuff you were. Oh, they got stolen. My car got broken into. Somebody's, you know, my my brother-in-law stole them. Oh, I lost them. I was at the gym and and someone took my gym bag. Thought everything, you know, the dog ate them. I like any excuse I could come up with, and it was the same thing where 
was okay. It was like just almost to shut me up and, and to go away. And I did the same thing as I went in um, to the team doctor and, and said that during the summer, you know, I, I was originally prescribed, I think, 20s for my knee. Uh, but I had already done an Oxy-80 the first time before. I didn't blew my knee out, but I wasn't really fully addicted, but I knew I liked them. And so when I got the 20s, I blew my knee out. I went home in the summertime. I got full-blown into it. And then when I went back to training camp the next year and everything else, I was in Victoria. I went to him and I said, hey, you know, my my family doctor back home, he he put me on on these other pills. I don't know what they were. I knew exactly what they were, and I'll never forget it. He pulled out this blue book because it was back in 2010 or 11, same time. And he's like, well, which ones were they? I'm like, well, they were oxy something. And uh, I remember he had the book, and he had the picture of all the pills. And there was the green oxy 80s and then the yellow ones. And I, I was like, if I say the 80s, he's going to get suspicious. And so, boom, I was like, those ones right there are the 40s. And he's like, how many a day? I'm like, uh six he's like yep, no problem there you go and that's how it all started so it's just that easy yeah yeah Yeah, so sorry i got a little bit more. yeah no please go ahead yeah so i called my mom and said i'm I'm hurting i i'm addicted to the pills and i want to get help and so that process started i went to rehab and like you said in the intro i felt great i was off the pills I went to rehab for three months and I was just happy. I was healthy. I was stoked to be off the pills and not knowing I was feeling so good. You know, my central nervous system had been so depressed for so long from the pills that once I stopped taking them, my brain started to just feel good. And I started to get a lot of dopamine in my brain and I started to just go, go, go. And I went, you know, to the golf course three times a week. I worked all week, and then I would party on the weekend with a couple friends, you know, go out for a little bit. And so it was just like I was going and going and going. I was so happy to be free from this jail that I was in on the pills that I was so high on life. And I was doing great at my job. Like I told my boss I wanted to help and he was no problem. And I went back to work. Things were going awesome, you know, and then I had a mania. So, you know, I don't know if everyone knows what a mania is, you know, your brain, it goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and it overloads where you kind of become delusional a little bit. And, and, you know, I wasn't really seeing or hearing things, but I was, I was, I wasn't me, you know, I thought I was me and I thought I was acting fine, but I wasn't. And my parents noticed and my family noticed and I was just, my brain was just go, go, go. And it, and it, and it messed me up and I I was messed up for a while because of it. And I was in the psych ward for about two and a half weeks and, you know, I got put on low medication and, and I wasn't okay after that probably for about a year it took me a good five or six months to want to actually be around people again because i was just didn't i was scared of being outside and being around people and i was just like emotionally fucked so sorry for swearing don't and uh and um so it messed me up to a point where you know i was just I wanted to stay home every day and, and I, I, I went to work and I wasn't the same person. And um, so, you know, I ended up 
leaving work and, and coming to live at home. And, you know, things went okay for a little bit, but eventually relapse came in. And, um, yeah, relapse came in, and then I would get clean for a little bit, and then relapse came back in, and I'd go to detox, and this went on and on and off and on and off and on. And I put my mom and dad through hell, and that's one of my biggest regrets is putting my parents through what I did. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was just it was just a revolving door. It was a circle. It was just a circle of hell, and I was on the streets, and I wasn't allowed home, and, you know, thank God for my dad. Wow. Yeah. I feel like I'm listening to myself talk, man. Uh, if you've, if you could go back and listen to some of the interviews I've give, it, it's the same thing. Thank God for my dad. And, and same thing. I, I read, read something in this vlog you wrote where it's, you know, you mentioned that your dad's not always the guy that's going to be like, Oh, I love you and call you type deal, but he's always there. He's your rock. My dad's the same way. And I would have been dead a long time ago if it wasn't for him. And, uh, you know, you're lucky that you, you have your parents, but I'll tell you, I know what the feeling is and I, when, when you can't go home and um, because you're, you're living that life and, you know, where you're not, your, your own family isn't even welcoming you anymore. And it's just, um, you know, having to, I can't imagine what both our parents had to go through looking at, you know, once promising uh, life career in hockey or whatever it is, even outside of hockey, um, to being completely consumed um, by drugs. And it's just... Um, there's no explanation for the, and, and, you know, doesn't do it justice for the sheer misery that opiate addiction truly is. Did you, was it strictly the opiates for you or, or was it there a time when it was just anything that you were doing? Uh, opiates, cocaine, um, yeah, IV, um, both, yeah, uh, yeah, too. ups and downs. So yeah, yeah, I liked, I like both at my worst time. I like both. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So yeah, it was just um yeah, it, it was terrible. It was just So I, so I, what I forget, the, I, I forget the question. <laughs> no, I mean it was just, you know, the, was it my drug was was more. I, I know a lot of people say that, but it was I was the same thing. I was Oh yeah, I, I was fentanyl and um yeah, eventually turned into fentanyl from oxy yeah, fentanyl. Of and, course. And, yeah. and um yeah, it's it just it was hell, you know what I mean? And it just uh, well, it got listen, worse and worse and worse. I'm I'm very glad that that you're still here to tell this story. And uh, how like how how are you doing today? And when what's going on with where are you at with your recovery these days? And you know, do you do you drink? Do you do anything anymore? Um, because I'll, I'll tell you, like I used, you know, I I went to rehab several times, detox. My dad dropped me off at detox so many times, I can't even tell you. And I went even more on my own without because he just I didn't even want to tell him I was going anymore because it was so embarrassing. And uh, you know, this last year I I used cannabis to get to sort of transition out of that. I was smoking so much weed. I was abusing weed like crazy up until a month ago. I just stopped. So like I've just passed a year clean off all the hard stuff, but I used uh, weed until about just over a month ago. And, you know, I don't drink because I, I just hate the taste of alcohol, but you know, as it sits right now, I'm not in like a, a recovery program, AANA, though I'm looking at getting back into it, just a sort of accountability factor because I know relapse is always lurking there. My addict will always be there. As soon as I think it's not there, it's it's right there, like trying to pull me back in. Um, and it yeah, may it's not always there. Uh, 
it's yeah. always, it's always going to be there. And for me, yeah, I really don't drink much. I, I, I don't enjoy it. Um, I drink, I drink a lot, you know, growing up. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's alcoholism that is in my family. So when I drink, I, I get really angry. And so I'm not a big drinker and, uh, yeah, I, I might have a beer dinner once in a while, but it's not a commonplace. Um, I do edibles before bed. Uh, okay. Once I started doing edibles before bed, I felt more refreshed in the morning and um, like I could start my day a little better. Okay. So, yeah, I was, you know, I smoked weed in junior and, and growing up and, and stuff like that. But I, you know, enjoyed smoking and going to the beach or, you know, doing things. And, yeah. But I didn't enjoy it really being at home. I, I Sometimes I would get anxious and stuff. But with edibles it's really different. It's, it comes on slower and I don't get anxious at all. Really. You know, I, I, you know, I get the munchies once in a while, but, um, you know, I, it's, it's, it's helped me, you know, it has helped me. Uh, and, um, yeah, so I'm, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too much into drinking. Maybe on the golf course, I'll have one or two or, or at dinner, but, uh, no, nothing like that. And like you said, it relapse is always there. It's always in the, it's always going to be there. And, you know, so it's always possible. So there's, you always want to keep yourself accountable. And, you know, NA and AA are, are tough to do right now with this COVID. I think they're doing online stuff, but I haven't really been in it too much. Um, but I've been doing well. You know, I have a, um, a little girl who's changed my life. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, she's uh, she's amazing. She's uh, yeah, she's awesome. So, you know, she, yeah, she's I, what she's she's what I live for every day. That's amazing. And and how long have you been uh, off all the hard stuff? Then would you say? Uh, I think I dabbled maybe within two years ago, but okay. I wasn't like it's been probably five or six years where like I was like on the street and like messed up and like not welcomed around by my family and stuff but it's been probably pretty good for a couple years like really good um but yeah like it's been a good five or six years since like that really messed up fentanyl time and when i overdosed and my dad found me and it was just a big cycle for five or six years that i went through like it just never ended. It just was, you know, dad, I, I owe this guy money. Can you just give me some money so I can pay him? But I just wanted dope. I didn't want, I didn't own a lot of money. And I mm -hmm. did that a lot. And then they used him and I regret it, obviously. But um, he didn't give up on me whenever I was in my bad place. My mom uh, couldn't take it anymore. And she just had to leave. And, uh, you know, that, that hurts me today, but you no, know, but we're good today, you know, and that's what I'm thankful for. And uh, yeah, so me and mom and dad and, and Jade, our little one, are, are, are really today. And, and, and I'm really happy about that. Yeah. Well, I have a, I have a picture of you with, uh, I'm not sure if it's, uh, your daughter's mom and you from Halloween. I was going to put it out. Yeah. But... It's, it's my, it's my daughter's mother. Yes. Yeah, so that's that's your little one a few years back. So yeah, yeah, she, she's seven now. So she's, she's quite a bit, quite a bit yeah, bigger. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was just a little one there. 
it's amazing what kids can do for not only for our recovery, but for our lives. And, uh, you know, do you ever think to yourself, like, you know, like, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty lucky to be alive right now. Of course, you know, I was, I was clean for a month and then I grabbed some fentanyl and a couple strips and I was like, you know, I'll just do a little bit, but I want you clean and do it. It's out of your system. And I was fucking done, gone. And, uh, yeah, I, I woke up and my dad was on top of me, screaming, yelling, I, I, my fucking chest killed. My dad was just stomping my chest or trying to bring me back to life, you know? Well, I'm very thankful that he was there and there's a reason why you're still here. And, uh, just, I, I have to like keep reminding you, man, that you're not alone and, and all the things that still hurt you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful to, to hear that your relationship with your parents is, is good these days. Um, I did the same stuff, uh, same stuff to my dad. I, you know, there was times where, yes, I owed money and I was in trouble. But after that, it was like, you know what? I, I saw that, you know, I was playing on his heartstrings to, you know, I'm in danger. Like there was a couple times where I was. And then all of a sudden that I realized, hey, that's a, I could do that. I took a lot of money from my dad through my addiction. I'm talking like six figures in, in like a year. Yeah, and uh, Me too. Oh, yeah, same. 100%. Yeah. Six figures plus. Yeah. And uh, it's, you know, it just, it breaks my heart to know that I did that. And I just need to tell you, though, that like, you know, for both of us, we, we could sit there and, and think about all that. Um, but it seems, you know, you, you're kind of doing the same thing I am, picking yourself up and, and, and moving on. And I know that, you know, from, from my dad's standpoint, it's, you know, he, he's just happy to see me doing better where, you know, forget about, you know, all the, the things that have happened, the money, the, the lies, the, whatever it is, uh, as long as, you know, you're doing the right thing today and, and keep putting one foot in front of the other. I mean, that's really all that matters. You can't change the past and, uh, you can't really, uh, dictate the future we just have right now. And, uh, I mean, it still doesn't make it any easier. Um, do you get on the ice at all anymore? Um, well, first I want to say, you know, I'm happy you're doing well. And, you know, like you said, you've been off the hard stuff for a year or so. And, you know, you say you're proud of me, I'm proud of you. You know what I mean? So I'm really happy you reached out to me and, um, I hope we can keep in touch and and maybe, uh, I know we will a hundred percent. We will. We're brothers for life. And I'll tell you that right now. Uh, I'll tell you that right now. Do some stuff together. And, you know, it's like. You struggle and you want to do something about it once you're okay and, and, and you're doing something and it means something. And, you know, I give you props for that, for, for just saying fuck it and I'm not going to take it anymore and, and I don't want to see anyone else die and I don't want to see anyone else hurt. And to see you do it, it inspires me. And, you know, I'm happy to be on and I'm happy you messaged me and I'm you know, once I read your thing on Sports Illustrated, Hockey News, and, you know, reading the story, it was it was so messed up how similar it was. It, I swear to fucking God, I was reading my own story. Like, I was reading my own life story. 
and it, it was insane. So when you reached out to me, I was like, it was the weirdest time because I've been thinking like, what am I going to do? Like there's, I'm okay now, but there's so many other people struggling and these kids go to junior hockey and they paint fucking picture. Like everything's going to be great and they're going to be taken care of and they're going to be looked after and it's bullshit. You know, I'm talking my day, hopefully it's changing. You know, I, I, you know, if it's not, yes, I think it is. And I hope it keeps the global that way. And, you know, it, the kids are different these days and all that, but you know, there's people struggling and, and, you know, it, it was tough back then. And, you know, it, it's been like this forever, but now people are actually realizing it and speaking out against it. And it means something. And, you know, well, like I said, when, you know, if we can help one person, it's worth it. Yeah. But, you know, let's try and help more. You know, let's try and, you know, I've been wanting to do something, you know, but you feel like yourself, what can you do? You know what I mean? What can one person do? But when you hear stories like yours that are so similar to mine and, and, and so many others, like you're not alone, you know, you're not the only one that's been through it. And like to see you score those goals at the start of the podcast, it, it, it was awesome. It was like, Jesus Christ, like, look how good you were. Like, look how much potential you had. Like, you know, and, and just to think like how similar our stories were and, and how good a hockey player we were and, and it could have went the other way. You know, you could be playing in the NHL right now. And there's so many like us that go through this and don't make it because the majority of us don't make it. And I'm not saying I was going to go pro. I wasn't going to make the NHL for sure. But, you know, things got messed up at the worst possible time in my life when I, I, I just got drafted and, and I started to deal with mental illness. And, you know, I didn't have really much support. And it just snowballed got worse. And, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't, make it you know what i mean but you know the past is the past and you know what can we do to change the future yeah you're right and i i've solely believe you know like i'm just gonna put this picture up like this these individuals in this picture you know it's uh half and half suicide and overdose i'm not kidding um you know uh we talk we talk about these issues and we could have easily been, you know, I believe we both could have been in the NHL, but we both could have been in this picture as well. And uh, we're not, and we're not. And, you know, I, I wouldn't honestly, now that I'm, now that I'm sitting on this side of, of the stuff that I've gone through, I wouldn't change anything. And I, I, I wouldn't trade the life I'm living right now um, for, Jamie Ben's con $76 million contract. And I'll tell you why it's, you know, did I want to play in the NHL as a kid? You're damn right. So I, I did, but I'll tell you that my experience through hockey, and that doesn't mean it's like that for everybody was much like yours where one, I never felt comfortable in the dressing room most of the time uh, for different reasons, coaches, some players, when I was a rookie, um, when I left for mental health reasons, they called, I came back, they called me baby. They hazed the, sh the crap out of me, um, like, like pretty bad. Um, and, you know, obviously there's way worse stories out there than what happened to me, but at the same time, but it all does something. Exactly. And so, I hated going to the rink. I heard you say, you know, last on the ice, first off, same deal. I wanted to get the hell out of the dressing room. I wasn't enjoying playing hockey anymore. And so I, I'm glad I'm not playing hockey anymore. And, and honestly, I'm glad that 
I went through all the stuff with addiction. I'm glad that I was homeless. I'm glad I went to jail. I was in jail for three years, uh, two years and then a year. Uh, all these experiences because I'm alive today. And, you know, just like yourself, we can use our experience to enrich the lives of others, which in turn will make our lives better. And, and it's and, and our lives, the world, a better place and we have that opportunity and like i'm i'm so happy that you and i connected because you know there's a there's a there's a bunch of guys and some girls that want to you know want to get together and, and take on this this mental illness and addiction in hockey and uh you know i i say it all the time that like puck support it's not that brady levold foundation i know that i'm not even fit to run this organization not yet anyways i'm doing my best i'll continue to do my best but i'm not i don't do this for me i don't do this for my own ego i don't do this don't sell yourself I, short well i don't do this to say oh brady Lebel did this no i i do this so that we don't have to add any more names to this list and 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 girls and boys to this picture and and i and you know just use my experience we use your experience um our heartache um our strength our hope uh to leave this world just a little bit better than than it was when you know in the hockey world in this sense than when we played in junior and and everything else and I'll tell you what, man, like, don't even kid yourself for a second. And I don't mean this to, to make it any harder or anything. Like, you're drafted third round. You had close to 70 points as a 17-year-old. Uh, it's not like you got any less skilled or anything. And it's the same thing that goes to me. It was, it was what was going on in here, what was going on in here. And so, you know, th that's the only thing that, and not the only thing because I believe it's the biggest part of anything because once we get to a certain level in hockey, it's it's up here and, and you know, the passion and love for the game and, and certain things need to align. But you, you would have been there, man. But I'll tell you, um, you know, you probably wouldn't have had your daughter. Um, you wouldn't have, you know, been where you're at today. And, and though maybe, you know, you wouldn't have, you would have had millions of dollars in the bank or whatever, but could you imagine if you would have had millions of dollars in the bank when you were going through that? Wouldn't be here. Exactly. So no, you're right. You're right. And it's, you know, you, you have regrets and yeah, you wanted to make it, but we're here now for a reason and let's make a difference. You know, let's do something to make a change and because, you know, we went through it and some more people are going to go through it and a lot of people are still going through it. And, um, yeah, sure, I regret some of the things I did and I want to make the show. But, you know, life's life and shit happens and I've dealt with it. And, you know, I want to move forward with my life and if I can make a difference doing it, you know, I want to. Yeah, and, and you will. And I believe that you and I have the power to, uh, with, you know, combined forces is to do just that. And this is the way that I look at it is like, I got to like have a meeting with the NHL coming up uh, in the near future. I've connected with some of the high ups of the NHL, which has been amazing. And it's like, you know, so that's for puck support. That's not for me. So like, you know, you're involved, I'm involved. We make it to the show in a different way now. Um, maybe not playing, but hey, if we can get you know build some relationships and hold different events and, and make the make the hockey community better. I mean, I I, I tell you, I wouldn't trade any of this for uh, a, a twenty year career in the NHL. I seriously wouldn't because I'm 
I mean, there's things that I wish I had, and I, I have regrets just like you. Um, without question, I, I watch hockey, and I'm like, man, I'm pretty sure I was better than that guy. I beat that guy up. <laughs> uh, I would think I was faster than that guy. But, like, at the same time, it's like, okay, well, maybe – that guy couldn't have gone through what I've gone through or what you've gone through and made it through the other side. But Hey, we couldn't make it to the NHL cause we had stuff going on, but who's going to leave a, a, a lasting longer impression. Um, who's going to make a bigger impact in the world. Who's really going to be able to find their true self outside of hockey. Uh, and because you, you said it like, you were labeled a hockey player. You labeled yourself as a hockey player. People labeled you as a hockey player, same thing. And as soon as, I don't know what it was like for you, but as soon as that was gone, it was like all these people I grew up with that I was given free sticks to and free gear to and everything else. As soon as I didn't have that for them, it was like, uh, hello? Who, where, where, where is everybody? Hello? <laughs> like, you know, you know, as soon as yeah. you, when you have something to offer, there's lots of people around. When you're hurting and you're, you're struggling, that's when you find out who your real friends are. Yeah. Well, I found out that I didn't have a ton of real friends, but I feel like I do now. And uh, I feel that me and you are, are seriously um, going to connect. And it's crazy, you know, talking to Richard and uh, I know he's, you know, wanted to echo the words of, of again, I'll say that he's proud of you. And, and so am I. And like the three of us, he said the same, we had the same conversation about like, he said the same thing. I swear, like we've, there's a greater power working through all of this and and i've never been more sure of that than i mean i keep saying that because things keep happening but today in my life and and the things that happened for me and and the connections i'm making that that we're gonna the things that seriously we're gonna do it's so uh, yeah no i i totally man, agree. It's crazy it's crazy no, I, you know what you say makes sense and and you know yeah, we didn't make it to the nhl now but if we can make a difference whether that's i don't know what it's gonna be but i want it to be something if it's talking to kids, if it's talking to athletes, if it's helping people that are struggling, if it's just doing something to change the stigma, to change and make a difference for people that are hurting, and not even for people that are hurting, because people that are hurting now are going to be hurting in the future, and they're going to go through things, even if they don't struggle for a long time or struggle their whole life. Mental illness, you know, is going to come up and depression is going to come up and anxiety and bipolar can come up. You know, I wasn't bipolar my whole life. It came up later in my life and I started to notice it. And, you know, maybe someone's not struggling right now, but it happened down the road. And, and you know, I, yeah, like you say, it's, you know, you know, I, it's a weird time that you are holding me because, I've been thinking so much about life lately and what I want to do. And yeah, I sure I, you know, I have a good job and, and I, you know, I want to continue my career, but I want to make a difference in the world and help people that have gone through the same thing. Well, you know what, man, this is, uh, this is a great opportunity for both of us. And like, I'm not kidding. We'll talk off, 
off the air and and I'll introduce you to Sandra who's who's watching right now. She's our executive director of mental health and addiction and uh, some other people that are uh, involved and you know you can help like essentially we're we're very brand new and we're trying to take this thing to the next level and uh, everything is so new. So it's you know the, the door is wide open for you to be as involved as much or as little as you want and you know with covid obviously from from my perspective it makes things a little bit tougher cuz i'm like the kind of guy that likes to get out there and, and and meet people and and host events and and different things like that and and you know go on a speaking tour and i i envision like not me i'm talking like a, a crew of us that all have gone sort of through the same thing where we're all having this little like mental health and addiction expo of like former hockey players with you know the professionals and everything else and like and and bringing the communities out and and have making it fun for the kids about hockey but also touching on their their mental health and emotional wellness and and all of that and it's you know there's a huge huge opportunity for for all of us that want to be involved to to make an impact in the lives of others and i think we need to really for me i want to focus on the younger generation coming up you know, there's a lot of people that need support. That was the original idea of puck support was, okay, we're going to do something to provide support for, for guys like myself and yourself that have gone through and are struggling today or trying to find themselves by getting them back involved in hockey. And so that was the original premise of puck support. And that's still a huge component of it. Cause look, it's working right now in a sense. And it's like, you know, it can bring us back to the game of hockey in a different fashion. Uh, but what I realized is that, you know, what we need to do is some sort of some way somehow uh, impl implement this to the the younger generation we're talking to the kids to their parents to the coaches uh, everybody that's involved and and even outside of hockey and so you know I, I really think there's there's strength in numbers and I know there's some people that like to do it all for themselves and, and their own you know oh they want to be in the spotlight that's not who I am and I'll tell you what the guys that are involved they're not it's it's about something so much more um than any one person and it's just it's so it's incredible man that i've been able to connect with you and 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 it, going back to like richard greenop like he messaged me out of the blue uh one day and we just connected like i don't know like a month ago and you know we're gonna bring Did him on the podcast know him before no no it's, no, it, that's so weird that he messaged you and you talked to him today, and he messaged it to me because me and Greeny used to be buddies. I know. You know, we played in Windsor. I lived in Windsor, and we played together in Windsor, but we were still friends before that. And uh, I didn't know he was how to go. So you know, I, I'm looking forward to you know touching base with him and, and keeping in touch with you. And and you have this vision that I've been thinking about for so long with this doing this and getting out there and just talking to the younger generation that I really want to focus on too and helping people that are still struggling, but, you know, focusing on that new generation coming up and, and letting them know that if they do struggle, here's some things they can do and, and that, right. you know, struggles are going to come up and here, here's maybe a way to deal with them. And, and even the parents too, get the parents ready for what's to come. If your kid is a good hockey player and he's going to move away and he's going to go to junior or he's, he, or maybe he's just going to play triple A. It is, you know, and play junior B, it doesn't matter. There's still going to be things that come up and the kids got to be ready for it. And the parents got to be ready for it too. And, you know, 
we no one taught us about it. No one told us what was going to happen in the mood. No one told us how, how much we were going to struggle and how much it was going to, you know, suck to move and 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 go to this team, you know, because they paint this beautiful picture, like, oh, it's great and everything's gonna be wonderful and you're gonna get your school package if you don't make it. And you know, these teams are, and some teams are and sure, but you know, it, it, you know that that reality that they they make it to be. A lot of the times, just false, and then you know, like you mentioned earlier, it's a business too, right? And you're expendable, you know. And it's unfortunate that you're treated like a piece of meat sometimes, and they really don't give a shit about you when you know they say they do. I know, and that that to me, I think, is like you know, looking back and, and I haven't really thought about it too much until now. I mean, you know, I've said that and I've thought about it, but I haven't really thought about how much of an effect that really, you know, had on me uh, at different times. And, and that's going right through to, you know, guys I played with that I thought were my brothers. And and some of them were great and I still connect with, but there's other guys where it's like, you know, as soon as you're not playing with them or if you're going through a hard time, it's like, they're not there. And it's like, man, like, I stuck up for you on the ice. I would have died for you. Like, and, and yeah, now, so it was, hard. it was hard, right? Yeah. And even me, like with that side of it, but even after hockey, you know, I, I had a good career. I had a nice penthouse in London and, you know, friends that I treat like, cause I, my friends, I treat like family. You know what I mean? Like I just, that's just the type of person I am. If you're my friend, I, I'd love you. Like I just treat you like you're part of my family. And when you treat someone like that, and then you start to go through something, you struggle, and like you know, you look around like no one, like where the where is everyone? You know, not everyone, just the people that you were close with, people that you called friends, the people that you thought were family that would support you if you were struggling. You know, they disappear. They don't give a shit. You know, they want something, and when <laughs> something's there for them, and and they got a nice place to stay or a nice car to drive around in with you, or you know, you're paying for drinks all night they're around but otherwise they're not yeah uh, i went through a lot of the same things and uh you know i'm glad like today like i know that there's a ton of i can actually see like i i, I had the attitude where like i hated people like i used to say I, I hate people and and don't get me wrong i still strongly dislike a lot of people in the world some i met <laughs> some haven't but i'll tell you i don't focus on that anymore and and uh, i i'm not even able to because since I started this podcast and everything and started sharing my story and, and a lot of times it was rough around the edges, uh, you know, a lot of swearing at the beginning. Like I'm talking like I swear every second word and, and I still swear way too much, um, but just really rough around the edges. Didn't really know how to present. I still am not a professional by any means. And so like, but you're I doing great. But I real thanks. But I realized that like, that's what I just needed to be myself. Like, stop trying to be this, you know, the hockey player or the the drug dealer I thought I was or the jail guy who I thought I was. It was like I was trying to be all these different things at different times in my life. And now it's like, man, like, this is me. And if you like me, you do. And if you don't, well, see you later. Like, and, and what I found is, like, there's a lot of good people out there 
Um, if you just focus on the good and, and you wake up every day and like I'm, I wake up and I take a big deep breath and I, I seriously, I thank God every single morning. I'm like, thank you for today. Thank you for keeping me alive. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, and people watching, listening, they don't have to believe in God, but I, that's just what I choose to do. And like, because I know that there were so many times where, you know, I should have, you know, somebody was just happened to be there with Narcan around the corner while I was overdosed by myself or whatever the case was. Uh, my mom's landlord one morning came down while I was on the front lawn at six in the morning. He went to work early and there was a police car down the street just happened to be there that had Narcan and came and same thing that woke up the police all over me. And I'm like, it was just not a good, good situation. And so like I wake up and I'm just grateful. Like I don't have a lot. I don't need a lot though. I used to think I needed all these friends, all this money, all this stuff, all this thing. And like today, like I don't need any of that. Like I have everything that I, that I need in life. There's a few more things that I, I need to, you know, check off the box um, that will fully be complete. Um, but I realized that the gift of life is, is enough because it's up to us what we want to do with it, who we spend our time with, what we, you know, what we're watching, what we're listening to. And the sooner that I realize these things that are essentially simple things to, to really understand for some people weren't for me and where I started to focus my energy. So instead of, you know, focusing my energy on, oh, I hate people, this person did this, that, they did the other. It was like, no, like just focus on the good no matter what. And it's not always easy, but focus on the good. And I'll tell you, man, there's so much good that has come into my life. And and, and you're one of those things, man. And I, I'm just grateful that I've got to uh, meet you. And I look forward to, I'm telling you, man, like you're like, I talk to Richard almost every day. Now I'll be checking in with you every day now too, or, or most days. So, and we're going to, we're going to do stuff to, uh, to make sure that those who are struggling know that they're not alone because this is an example where I was like, man, there's no way there's somebody that played the level hockey I did that was doing the same sort of stuff. Like I was like, okay, maybe close, but you know, and then I come to find out that, you know, there's, there's quite a few of us out there and uh, unfortunately probably even more that we don't know about and more that will come up through the ranks. And, and it's just, you know, I feel it's our responsibility to share our story as hard as it is at times for us and for others to listen to. It's, I feel like it's at least my responsibility to share my experience to let other people know that, you know what, don't be ashamed. You know, if we make mistakes, pick yourself back up, don't quit on yourself, you know, and there are people that do care. No, you said it perfectly, bro. You said so, it perfectly, you know, and it's, you know, I'm glad you started this and you're doing an awesome fucking job and, um, you know, you're making a difference, you know, you're making a difference every day and it's, you know, and you're blunt about it and, you know, you got a good attitude about it and, you know, it, it means something, brother. Okay, well, listen, man, uh, we're coming up on an hour and a half. We'll have to get you back on again. Uh, there's a bunch of comments coming in, questions uh, that I didn't get a chance to get to, but I will get to a couple before we uh, before we go. Oh, wait a second. Uh, oh, I thought it was uh, I thought it was Richard coming in, but it was somebody else. But he he messaged me, said he can't watch it live, but he's going to be listening to it on the way to work tomorrow. That's where he catches all the episodes when he's driving to work. So that's really cool. Uh, this is the one I wanted to get to from Sandra says, uh, if it's any consolation to you, you're not alone. I don't know of anyone that played for Brampton or North Bay, same unnamed coach that had an experience that was emotionally healthy. Your experience has been echoed to me 
by many or many times. I'm sorry for what you endured, Aaron. And so Sandra actually works uh, with a lot of OHL players. She was part of, uh, yeah. So she's, you're going to get to know her. She's our executive director of mental health and addiction. And she did the uh, critical stress debriefing when Terry Trafford um, took his own life in Saginaw all those years ago. And, and, you know, he's in the picture. Um, right there beside Rick Rippon uh, holding the stick up uh, with no helmet there above Mitch Fadden and Matthew Lazinski in the bottom right corner. Um, rest in peace, Terry, and all of those that we've lost. But uh, I really wanted to just, you know, let you know that Sandra's, you know, you're not alone there either. And uh, let me see. Uh, I am so glad you're uh, you survived, Aaron. You have an awesome dad from Rustin Baldwin. Uh, David Carlson says a terrific opportunity for you, Aaron, to give back. Life experience is a great lesson and you can share it. Um, your survival is best NHL. New healthy life. That's the new NHL. New healthy life. I like that one too. That's what, I, that's what I think about that. Uh, the attitude of gratitude is best and... Uh, David Carlson says, Aaron and Brady, I will private message uh, Brady about a young New York hockey player. The younger generation needs to know about pucksport.com. 12-year-olds obviously struggling. Please do, David. Yeah, um, sure. Last couple ones more. My old neighbor, uh, Bob Liebes and Louise Liebes, down, out there in Port Coquitlam. Thank you, Bob and Louise. I love you guys so much. If it wasn't for them, uh, I don't know where my dad and, and myself would have been. Uh, they took care of me and my sister when my dad was at work so many times. Uh, I can't even count. Took me to hockey when I was little. 4.45 a.m. practices. My neighbor is taking me. So, Bob, thank you. I love you guys. Um, Rustin Ball says, agreed. Brady is doing a great job with this. Thank you, Rustin. Um, Lucas Hicks says, thank you, Aaron. Truly amazing story. Uh, the last one we'll get to Joe M. You are an inspiration, bro. Watch you play in Swift. And when I was a kid, keep going. Oh, thank you. And one more for, uh, from Matthew Meinzer. Where did I see it? Oh, this one too. Uh, doctor drug dealers. Absolutely wild. Yeah. Well, it was uh, pretty common, commonplace back then. Uh, Matthew Meinzer says, I actually remember Aaron from playing when playing for the ice dogs for a hot minute minute, I followed the ice dogs back then. So uh, he remembers you. And this guy's down in Argentina, actually South America now. And he makes, uh, he makes wooden hockey sticks down there because they can't get equipment. He's furthering the game of hockey in South America, which is unbelievable. Um, just, it's, it's actually crazy, man. I'll send you the pictures of him making the sticks. We're going to do a feature on I him used, here. I used, to, I used to grab a wood stick back in the day. Damn right. I, I, I liked it. Yeah, you could feel the puck better. 100%. I agree. Okay, well, hey, man, listen, I uh, I appreciate you doing this. And just know that, you know, we're we're brothers now. I'm going to be bugging you all the time now. And uh, no, I'm you, looking forward to it. Yeah, and if you, listen, if you need anything, man, just please know I'm here. You're going to get to know me even more. But it doesn't matter. Uh, time, place, whatever. I'm really not that far from you. I'm in Muskoka. Uh, Ontario. I know COVID and stuff, but when it's over, you're, you're, you're lucky. It's nice out there, brother. Yeah, I'm not. I don't live on a lake right now or anything, but it's no, uh, it's but it's very, very lucky. I'm very but, lucky. Uh, spent some nice summers up there. Yeah, well, uh, hopefully when COVID ends, we can we can get together and uh, do that. I, I plan on having a three on three tournament uh, up here. Uh, in the coming years, uh, really wanted to do it this winter, but COVID obviously prohibited that. So get I don't people. Know if I can skate anymore. 
Hey, I just started skating again after <laughs> nine years. Nine Me years. too. You know, I took my daughter. I started with my daughter this year. And, I did that uh, last year. And, um, you know, she enjoys it and I enjoy it. But it, it's actually nice to get back on the ice. But I don't know how it's going to go in off the rink. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, man, we're... Uh... We're, we got to get out on the on the outdoor rink and stuff, and uh, you know we want to film like a promo video for for puck support, and I'd love it if you'd you'd be a part of that to somehow share your story, and I'll send you a link. Actually, there's one that's kind of not for the public that was made like six months ago, but it would be you know things need to be changed, but I'd love to to throw your story in on it. We want to you'll you'll see, and you can let me know. And there's a few others that need to be added in there, but it's. Uh, pretty powerful stuff and i believe that you're going to help us change the world i, I know it and i know it because you're in if you're in you're in we're going to do this thing man all the way i'm looking forward to it and uh you know i'm happy we touch base and i'm happy we were sorry friends now and and uh you know i'm looking forward to what the future can bring me too man okay buddy i'm gonna let you go i got a couple more things i need to add one more sponsor but we'll be in touch and i appreciate uh you being so brave sharing your story and i'm i'm really happy you're still here man yeah, I'm happy you're here too, brother. And uh, thanks for having me on. Eh? Hey, anytime, man. You have a standing invite. Anytime you want to come on, you got something going on, you let me know. You can come on anytime. Don't do that. I'll be on every week. <laughs> hey, maybe it's not a bad idea. Maybe we start, maybe we start a recovery-based show or something too. But hey, we'll, uh, we'll, see. we'll, we'll see. talk about it. We'll talk about it. Um, we'll talk soon, buddy. Thanks again. Okay, see you, bud. Awesome. That's what I'm talking about. When I started the podcast, I had dreams of episodes like this, and I've had a lot of great episodes. No disrespect to anybody that's been on my podcast, but Aaron Snow speaks my language, and it's not having to listen to it. It's, it's really difficult, you know? Like, I, I appreciate him being so honest and, you know, trying to hold back those tears, and, and you know, I just... I, I know how that is, and there's nothing wrong with being emotional when you've gone through um, the things that he's gone through, that I've gone through, that so many people have gone through. And when we talk about family and, and hurting family members, we talked about our dads, and that's something that chokes me up every single time. I know my dad's probably watching right now. Hi, Dad. I'm really sorry. You know that. My dad was on the podcast. We did two episodes, episode 50 and 51, back on Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery, trying to bug him to come back on. Uh, but I cried my eyes out during that podcast, during the intro and when he came on and oh man, it's, it's one of the greatest gifts of what I'm doing now is the fact that my dad and I can, you know, actually have conversations without me trying to, you know, hit him up for money or whatever, which full disclosure, he has helped me out a little bit. Cause I've been, you know, over the last year, I, I built this from, from social assistance. Everything that I've done was from government assistance like that's the only money i had coming in um and so there was times when my dad had to step up but i didn't you know i don't think he felt as bad about it uh because he knew it wasn't going uh to my addiction anymore and so i look forward to the day when you know i can see my dad again all my family back home bob and louise thank you for watching i love you guys all i've been seeing my family in four years guys i'm in ontario they're out in british columbia and you know, when COVID's over, you damn right, I'm going to come back there. My kids, Brooklyn and Brody, are out there who I haven't seen in a number of years. And that's something that 
I have a really hard time talking about one because I'm not supposed to. Uh, as requested by somebody, I'm, you know, I don't even need to get into it. Um, that's why I don't really post pictures of them. If you're wondering why I don't talk a lot about Brooklyn and Brody and post pictures and different things is because somebody has asked me not to. And it, uh, I don't know. All I need to, all anybody needs to know is that I'm doing everything that I can to get my rights back as a parent. And, you know, that means going back to court and, and doing everything while trying to be mindful and respectful of my kids' wishes. Brooklyn is going to turn 13 on St. Patrick's Day. 13. I had her, we had her uh, the, the day after my last regular season game in the Western Hockey League. And, uh, yeah, it, uh, it was a crazy year. A crazy year. Um, and I was with them until they were six and seven. And, you know, obviously my addiction took that from me. And that was the, the probably the, not even probably, that was the hardest blow that I took through anything. My addiction was losing the relationship with my kids. But I'm never going to give up uh, trying to get them back in my life, whether it takes a day, a week, a year, 10 years, 20 years until I take my last breath. I'm never going to give up. Having said that, I'm very grateful for where I'm at today. Um, I had my daughter Veda the last two nights uh, here at Susan's house. Thank you to Susan for for allowing me to to have her here and and Hadley and Lincoln come over uh, who are not my biological children, but I'll tell you what, they're my kids. I love them so much. And so I have enough room in my heart uh, to love to love them all and you know, I know I don't know what that looks like when when you bring the family together, my kids, and I know they're hurt and everything else, and it just makes it a a very difficult situation. But instead of living with the fear of the what ifs or what that looks like, I have to learn, and I have learned to enjoy the day that I do have. Um, not hold back with Hadley, Lincoln, and Veda uh, because I'm not seeing Brooklyn and Brody. That's not fair to to them. It's not really fair to me. And it's not really healthy for anybody. And I just pray that when that time comes, um, that some way, somehow it all works out. And uh, I pray that Brooklyn and Brody aren't too affected by it. I, I, I love them so much and I don't think they'll ever fully understand. So that's all I'm going to say about that. I said more than I probably should have. Thank you to Aaron Snow. Wow. Uh, it takes balls to do that and... I'm just blown away by how similar our stories are and just one of these things that have happened and, and people that have come into my life, another great person that has come into my life um, right at the exact right time and very, very grateful that we're both alive. If you don't know what puck support is and we're talking about puck support, you could check it out, pucksupport.com, anywhere on social media, at puck support. Uh, if you want to look at any of the merchandise, this is just one of our lines, Puck Addiction. This is a Puck Support hat. And all of our merchandise has an in memory of. So in my hat, Matthew Lazinski, that's really where this whole thing started. This is where the idea from Puck Support came. When I found out Matthew Lazinski, former Sioux Greyhound, overdosed from fentanyl in 2017, that was the first moment when I realized that I wasn't the only hockey player that... Uh, you know, was struggling with these substances. And about a month after that, 
I uncovered Mitch Fadden also passed away from fentanyl. And he was... They, they passed away two weeks apart, one in BC, one in Ontario. And uh, Mitch Fadden was my roommate in the American Hockey League, drafted by Tampa Bay, WHL All-Star, and lived with this guy for like three months while I was in the A. And I, I collapsed to the ground. And it was in that moment when I was like, you know what? This isn't going to, like, I can't just sit back and, and not do anything about it. In my sweatshirt, Merrick Svatos, former NHL player, another overdose. Passed away in 2016. So all of our merchandise has an in memory of. There's another one. I'm puck support head to toe always. Mental health over hockey. Shout out to Windsor, Ontario, the Probert family. Bob Probert in this one. Danny Probert and the kids have become very close to puck support. And Danny's been on the podcast. I get to ride the Bob Probert, Bob Probert's Harley in the Bob Probert Memorial Ride in Windsor. I forgot to tell Aaron that, uh, but we're going to be talking all the time. So thank you to Danny and the Probert children for, for all their support. And, you know, it's, it's not easy. And it's, it's, you know, it's people like the Probert family, like Kelly Ewan, Todd Ewan's wife, that, you know, are standing up against the powers that be sometimes to fight for change. And uh, it's it's just one of these things where when something feels right, you just have to do it. And that's what this whole journey has been about for me. Uh, I'm going to leave you with uh, a sponsor at the end, Pride Tape. You can check them out on social media at Pride Tape. I'm still waiting for my Pride Tape to arrive just to support equality in all of sports. Um, I'm doing my part. Shout out to Curtis Gabriel, current San Jose Shark, friend of the show, who, uh, you know, he reps it in the NHL when he's in the lineup and makes a statement, not being an openly gay man, but hey, you know what? He's just spreading the love. And I've, I felt that I needed to do the same. Like I said, when something feels right, it just feels right. Thank you to everybody who watched. If you're listening after the fact, seriously, thank you. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're watching on YouTube, press the little notification button. If you're listening to the audio, do me a favor, rate and review. If you liked it, give me a good rating. If you didn't like it, hey, tell me you didn't like it. I can see Aaron sitting there with his daughter right now. Hello. She's waving back at me. Hold on. Say hi really quick. Yeah, I did. Your dad was great. You have an awesome dad. So thank you. Okay. See you, buddy. That's awesome. I love it. Um, again, thank you to Aaron Snow for being so brave and, and just being a, a great guy. What else? There's one more thing that I needed to say, and I'm always forgetting stuff. Pucksupport.com. Promo code never forget. It's going to get you 10% off. If you want to support me directly, you can do so through Patreon. Patreon.com slash Brady Leavold. Uh, there'll be special promo codes for anybody that wants to support me directly. That's to support me, not Puck Support. That's the way that you know I can collect any money. Everything I'm doing at Puck Support is completely volunteer right now, but I hope that it changes very very soon. We're working hard behind the scenes. Um, shout out to Taylor and the kids up there in Utterson. Hello to all my family back home. I love you. I miss you. 
I'm going to get emotional, so I better go. See, I cry too. I can't even talk about that stuff or I start to cry. If you're struggling, reach out to Sandra. Sandra at PuckSupport.com. Sandra Murray, our Executive Director of Health, Executive Director of Mental Health and Addiction uh, and Vice President of Puck Support. So reach out to her. She's an amazing uh, resource and just so much experience with mental health and addiction and athletes and especially hockey players. To all those we have lost, we never forget you. Not if we can do anything about it. I see this picture every morning when I wake up and uh, this is what keeps me going. Rest in peace to all of those we have lost. We think of you often. Looking forward to connecting with Doug Donaldson soon. Ryan Donaldson's dad, we dedicated the last episode to him. His dad's going to come on, former Kelowna Rocket. Tragically took his own life in 2014, and his dad and mom are going to come on the show, and I can't wait to connect with them. So stay tuned for that. Kelly Rudy's coming on. Jordy Ben's coming on. Uh, stay tuned for the dates on that. Their schedules are all over because, you know, one's obviously playing, the other's a commentator. So we'll try to iron that out. That's it. Don't give up on yourself. Be kind. Be grateful. And remember, have a great day if you so choose. is brought to you by pride tape pride tape is a badge of support from teammates coaches parents and pros to young lgbtq players it shows every player that they belong playing the sport they love and that we're all on the same team show your support for teammates coaches and fans in the lgbtq community by wrapping your stick with pride tape every roll of tape will make an impact in sports and beyond inclusion starts with leadership Check out some of the ideas of how you can get involved at youcanplayproject.org. Check out Pride Tape at pridetape.com. For more information, you can send an email to aubrey at pridetape.com. That's A-U-B-R-E-E, aubrey at pridetape.com. You can find Pride Tape on facebook.com slash pridetape, on Twitter at pridetape, and at pridetape on Instagram. Pride Tape thanks all of you for being champions for change.